Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John, and Ian, as of uh, you all listening to this, is currently probably halfway across the country, or probably somewhere stuck in the Rockies. Uh, but because of that, uh, as promised last week, I'm sitting here with my two teammates for the PT25 Regional Pro Tour Qualifier. I'm joined by a uh, previous guest on the podcast, Vinny. Hey, everyone. And a uh, new guest on the podcast, uh, my friend and uh, former pro former pro tour competitor and competitive magic player, Doug Harrelson. Doug, hi. Hello, everyone. All right, so this is episode 90, and as we previously mentioned, this is going to be talking about our uh, RPTQ wrap-up. We're going to kind of go over how we got here, um, how we prepared for the event, as well as uh, just kind of how the event went, and um, yeah. I already previously mentioned uh, last week that we only went four and three, but we'll we'll go into the details later. Uh, So, Doug... Vinny's done a kind of brief introduction as to, you know, who he is. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history playing Magic? Uh, so I started playing Magic around uh, the Return to Ravnica. Uh, I think I might have started with the core set beforehand, but Return to Ravnica is when I really actually started to get a lot more comfortable uh, understanding the game. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, I did uh, get to compete in a Pro Tour after I'd probably been playing Magic about six months or so when I... Uh, one of the old school, like, a uh, hundred and something plus person PTQs. Uh, turns out when you have Pack Red in your sealed deck, you do pretty well. Um, but, uh, yeah, got to go play a Pro Tour Gate Crash. Ever since then, I've kind of been uh, on and off of, like, just grinding PPTQs. Go to, uh, this past year, I've spent a lot of time going to Grand Prix and stuff. Uh, uh, I've always been some uh, kind of nuts and bolts spike that really enjoys, like, the grind of it all. Okay. So, real quick, uh, to qualify for one of these regional Pro Tour qualifiers, you got to win a PPTQ. And, Doug, you're the one who won it, so quickly, just kind of recap that event. Uh, so, I actually, so, I woke up that morning, I worked a very, very late night the night before, was real tired, I was supposed to be giving uh, you, John, a ride to the event, but I hadn't heard from you yet, it was raining, I was tired, I was about to literally turn around and just go back home, because it was a good hour-long drive to where we were headed, and... I just was feeling exhausted, but then you called right as I was about to turn around. I was like, all right, we'll do it. Um, we head there, and I was playing a deck that I, I still label a bad deck, uh, Esper Tokens, but uh, it happened to line up really nicely with my pairings uh, on this particular weekend, and uh, uh, it was nice to actually be able to like win the event with a, with a teammate right there that uh, uh, watching me and rooting for me. That was a lot of fun. Um, uh, it was definitely kind of cool, because Vinny actually is the one that got me originally on the tokens list, and kind of helped me kind of streamline the version that I was on. Uh, so that was kind of cool. It kind of felt like group effort in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, and although I know, Vinny, you were mostly a fan of playing green in those decks. but Sure, sometimes. Um, I mean, I used to play the, the old Abzan uh, tokens type style, like this, what Sam Black originally came up with, and so... When I was playing, it was when, you know, Ubenwald Mysteries, the one card that whenever I would play it, people would look at it and go, I don't even know what that does. I'm going to have to read that. Well, that was in addition to Hidden Stockpile, which they also didn't know what it did. Um, they didn't draft enough shadows. If yeah, well, clearly. clearly <laughs> those are two great cards, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, I just I just really enjoyed the deck, and it was really good. It turned out it was really good against Mono Red for a while, um, which I didn't realize. I thought it was not going to be great against it. And so um, when Doug took it there, he just had really good matchups. And I think in, in the finals, you played what uh, Jessica Godfrey's gift. Yeah. And um, although we had talked about the interaction the day before, you know, it, he didn't under- quite understand how the combat celebrant thing worked. And so he lost game one, but then he, you know, handily won games two and three. So I, I believe that was urgent yeah. to lose game two. Well, I think the, uh, well, yeah, I did lose game one and one game, game one. Two. Okay, yeah. But uh, I think having access to like, uh, 
uh, a eventually I'm going to win the game mechanism, mm-hmm. as well as uh, after board I had access to like Doctor Arrest, Cast Out, Ixalan's Bindings, and that deck has always to me been kind of fragile. So um, it just felt like uh, I had inevitability as long as they didn't do anything stupid yeah. and kind of go off on me. And then even post board I got to bring in stuff like Settle of the Wreckage to make sure I didn't like get cheesed out or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that matchup really never, like, I played Godfrey's Gift, uh, like, two or maybe three times in that whole tournament, and it wasn't usually close. Yeah. So, the big thing with this RPTQ was the fact that, uh, unlike most RPTQs, they're usually a constructed format, standard or modern, depending on what the season prior to it was. Uh, for example, uh, once Core 19 comes out, we're going to be in the, smack them in the middle of modern season. Uh, these RPTQs will qualify you for the RPTQs that will send you to the Ravnica Allegiance Pro Tour uh, next winter. Uh, but uh, this one qualified us for PT25, which is a team event. And so the RPTQ was a team event. And the event was, or the format was Team Unified Standard, which is a really weird format. Mm-hmm. So, Vinny, just briefly, what is Team Unified Standard? So, Team Unified Standard, um, all three players on the team are playing standard, they're playing different decks. Um, if one card is in one deck, even if it's just one copy, you are not allowed to have any other copies in any of the other decks. So if you stack all decks on top of each other, it needs to technically be one, um, big standard deck, essentially, um, seeing as there's no maximum. So that, that's basically the, the gist of it. Um, the sideboard, same thing. You cannot have any of the same copies as any of your teammates. And as we found out, it is possible that if you do register some of the same cards in both players' decks, you will likely have to add many lands to one of the players' decks. Yeah, one of our uh, friend, local player, area players were playing in the RPTQ here in Nashville, uh, and they were playing the exact same set that we were, but uh, one player had two Ethers or Harvesters in their main deck, the other had two in their sideboard, and uh, in, the, in the event that happens, if you're wondering, the, pl- the player who is in seat C gets the cards removed first. <laughs> and yes. so the player, that player was on a Llanowar Elf deck, and so they had to replace uh, two Aethersor Harvesters with two basic lands. And now they're playing 26 lands in their Llanowar Elf deck. Yep. Awkward. Which is not a good place to be. So, uh, on the drive down, Doug and I were t- chatting a lot about, this was before we even had any inkling of what Dominari was going to bring to the format. Uh, what our deck philosophy was going to be going into Team Unified. Yeah, uh, like we kind of, because uh, now we do need to backtrack, like the format we were in at the time was very much like a Hazorat Scarab God format. Uh, there was occasionally like the white token, go wide strategies, which those have been completely abolished thanks to Mr. Whirly Boy, uh, Goblin Chain Whirler. Um, but uh, with, like the principle was like uh, the two most powerful cards we thought in standard at the time were uh, Scarab God, and uh, Hazaret, and uh, so we thought, we were thinking we want to be playing those cards, and then we probably want to be playing some number of Raskus Contempts and Cast Outs to deal with those cards. Now, granted, the format ended up shaking up a little bit, but uh, we kind of did that in the end anyways, even though mine wasn't like a purely Scarab God deck. We'll get into that. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, you really, like, when you when it comes to Unified Standard, you have to identify what are the best cards in the format, what cards do you want to be see, seeing play in your decks, and then how, what is the deck combination that we can play all of those cards? And I think we kind of fell upon that in our testing. Yeah. I think it came out most succinctly in that in this format, ideally, you're going to have a base blue deck, a base green deck, or and a base red deck. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. white and black are fairly splittable. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was always of the opinion that, like, we could have had two white decks because, you know, some white decks could play Ixalan's Binding, while the other one could play Cast Out. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, it didn't come up to that, but... um. 
we had a lot of different decks that we had tested prior to that, just playing standard PPTQs. Uh, I went over mine previously where I was playing uh, Mono Red Goblin Gifts, uh, which is the Mono Red Godfarer's Gift deck, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but I think all, essentially everyone came to the same conclusion that most of the Godfarer's Gift decks are kind of traps in, in Team Unified. Right. I think that with that deck, when you have Combat Celebrant and Godfarer's Gifts out, um, you do get free wins out of nowhere, but Mono Red just aggro. You're going to get free wins out of nowhere to begin with, and I think ultimately we found that it was the better deck. Yeah, yeah it's just like, well, like let's take out all these kind of like janky cards to do this weird combo interaction that people can actually interact with, and why don't we just streamline our game plan and just deal 20 Kill points of damage. Kill them on turn four. Yeah. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> then what is it, cute play syndrome is like yeah. the, the old adage, like sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel, just no. like... Play the basic deck. And, and then and then once I got off the Godfrey's Gift deck, it was now a decision of, should I be playing Mono Red, like the White Darby list, or should I be playing Red Black, or should I be, like, trying to play some black cards in my deck, because the black cards synergize really well with the red cards. Um, and that decision kind of came down to what we were expecting to face. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely, I was definitely one of the ones that was the bigger proponent of the uh, Mono Red deck. Uh, because I just, I didn't like the idea of playing a bunch of coming to play Tablelands. We ended up coming up with a nice little, uh, uh, what, compromise where yeah. we didn't go fully black. We didn't play any black spells. We just had some Dragon Skull Summits and, like, a Canyon Slew. Yeah. To, one like, on the board as well. Yeah, uh, and one in the board for when we want to go bigger, which I don't mind that, because occasionally, yeah, you sideboard out your one drops and you want to have Bring a higher curve. Bringers. Yeah. But, uh... Uh, by doing it that way, I didn't feel like we were wrecking our mana base and having a bunch of come into play tap lands. Because I think, like, as, a, as somebody that plays on the other end of red decks a lot of the time, uh, if I see my red opponent stumbling on their land drops, I am just, like, giggity. Like, that, that that gives me win percentage that I didn't necessarily have. Versus if they just go one drop, two drop, three drop, hazard, I just lose. Yeah. yeah, and I think another big point with this is that I, I think it kind of speaks to um, how good our team communicated with each other. Because at first... You know, it, uh, Doug was very much against as splashing the black because he didn't want to see John stumble on mana, essentially. And, um, I, and me and John were more on the, well, why don't we test it? You know, we'll see what happens. And so we took it to a Friday Night Magic and he did well with it. Um, and we found that he didn't really stumble on mana, but we could see where it could be possible. So I think the deck that we landed on was more of a mono red deck that splashed scrap heap scroungers and didn't actually have any black cards in the board. I mean, we weren't, we weren't playing cut turbans. We weren't playing on license disintegration. It was basically mono red and the scrap heap scroungers were just more win against control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only other deck I think that we tested really extensively was on Doug's side because you played a lot of mono black at the PPTQs for here. Yeah, I had definitely been testing mono black and it, de- it definitely had a huge appeal because of the fact of it being a mono colored deck. That also one of the few decks that could break the paradigm we were talking about, about a red deck, a blue deck, a green deck. Um, uh, ultimately, it did, like, in the end, still actually take a bunch of cards from your other decks. Things like uh, Walking Ballista, which could be valuable in other places. Um, and then it ends up becoming your Veraskis Contempt deck, which, mm-hmm. you know, you might want to be using that elsewhere. It makes it hard to... Um, like, uh, one of our local groups, they, what was their configuration? It was Mono Black. Mono Red and Bant Approach. No, they did Red Black. Yeah, they did Red Black. Like, oh, Red Black. Because okay. they were playing Lost Legacies in the Mono Black deck instead of Duresses. Okay. And, uh, I just, uh, uh, like, if, if Bant Approach is something that you really wanted to be doing, I could see going with that, but I think we were, I think there was just be- more powerful configurations that we could come up with. 
And Vinny called it talking. I'm going to call it a... Uh, Yelling politely, like it was definitely some uh, like. Uh, but that's how that's how our team communicates to begin with. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. not it's an, and not anything out of the yeah, ordinary. We had some heated discussions, but no one Passion. no one took it, no one <laughs> no one took it personally. We were all trying to do the best thing that we could. And um, Vinny, you were still finishing up school and testing, yeah, because uh, you are now a licensed pharmacist. I am a licensed pharmacist. Thank that's you, Doctor Cavalieri's. <laughs> <That now>. is, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So um, so on the ride down and the ride back, um, I was studying for the law uh, exam. So I have to take two exams, the pharmacist, the NAPLEX, which is the science, and then the MPJE, which is the law. So I had already passed the NAPLEX. So really during my time testing for this with Green White, um, which is the deck that I landed on, um, I was studying for the NAPLEX as well. And so I, I ended up passing that. And then I had about a week before we went to this RPTQ. And so I was studying as much as I could. So that way I could test the day before the RPTQ. Um, and, um, and then I, we literally were on the way home. We stopped in Memphis. I took the test. I got home and I found out that I passed it with the exact score I needed like three days later. <laughs> I mentioned that because, uh, while Doug and I had a lot of like in-person practice or magic online practice, you did a lot of yours on arena. I did. Um, yeah. You, you just hopped around the green white lists. Yeah. And, and see, no, I didn't have all of the pieces that were needed for the exact deck that I ran, but I was, you know, close enough to the point where I was like. I played a lot of mono red. I played against things like that. And I understood if I had this card in this scenario, because this is supposed to, you know, if I was playing Jaylight Ranger instead of Thrash and Bronzedon, um, you know, I understand that if I had Thrash and Bronzedon in this scenario, I would not have lost this game. So, it, you know, you're getting testing. It's not the best testing as you can, but it was quick because they have just the one game, um, no sideboard matches, which is great. Well, now Arena has uh, competitive with sideboards, mm-hmm. so that might change in the future depending on how people want to use their testing. But eventually... The day of came, and we had the entire day testing. Like like we mentioned, we drove down on Friday. Uh, we got to the hotel. We got into Dallas at like 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Went and got dinner, found the store. I played FNM that night, playing uh, basically playing the deck that I would eventually end up playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, went 3-1, and one, which is fine. Uh, and then Saturday, we just tested all all day. I, got a, I was actually really proud of like how much testing we actually got in. It was very targeted. It was like, okay, we want to know how the green-white deck is going to play against this blue-white deck. We need to know how the Esper control mirror, what it's going to be about. Like, uh, so I don't know if we've actually mentioned the three. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going I was leading into that yeah. because, like, a lot of that testing was, like you said, very targeted. Um, as is on brand, I was playing the mono-red deck, uh, Splashing Scrappy Scrounders, and all of our 75s are going to be in the show notes below. You can find their links there. Um, but I'll basically, instead of Earthshaker Kenra's, I played Skypeep Scroungers because I'm basically, th- everyone's going to be 33% to play Chain Whirler, 33% to play the other decks because I don't think that you, a winning set at this Team Unified has zero Chain Whirlers in the 74. Right. Among all of their 75s. No. I don't think it has three. I think it has four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has no less, no fewer than four. Um, and then we mentioned Vinny ended up on green-white. And just kind of briefly, what was the strategy of the green-white deck? Yeah, so the green-white deck, it was very similar to Craig Wesco's deck from the Pro Tour. Um, you're playing uh, Lanoir Elves, Servants. Um, you're playing some Thrashing Bronzodons. Some of the decks play Aethersphere Harvester. I didn't. John ended up with them in his sideboard, which, thank God, that happened because <laughs> he played a lot of mono-red that day. Yep. And I played actually zero. Um Shalai's and Lyra's. So the the god turn is to go turn one, Lanoir Elves, uh, turn two, Rishkar, put the counters on both my elves, and then turn three, Lyra, which I did get to do once that day. It was great. Um, but that's basically the thing, because basically when you have uh, Thrashing Bronzodons and Shalai, it's really, really good against uh, blue-white control. 
and then ha- just having three fours blockchain rollers all day. So it was good against 66% of the decks that we were likely to see that day. Um, not being able to get Settle the Wreckage because that's the, you know, Shalai gives you Hexproof. And then Thrashing Bronzedon can, um, at instant speed, blow up a seal away that's trying to target one of your other creatures. <clears throat> so that's like the, the philosophy behind it is to, to screw with the two decks that we uh, plan to see the most. And Doug, that leaves you with, I was playing base red, Vinny was playing base green, so you were on the base blue deck playing yes. Esper Control. Uh, I actually really ended up liking the list. Uh, it was a very much a, kind of a, a combination of uh, what, Matthew Flounce, is it, am I pronouncing it? Quite yeah, a bit. I so. And then uh, Brad Nelson's uh, list that he posted on the SCG page. Um, and uh, met with a little bit of tweaks here and there. Like, I expected to see more green decks uh, than I would see in a regular standard field. So I had, uh, like, an Eldest Reborn in the sideboard. Uh, also did a, uh, over one of the syncopates, I liked a uh, Supreme Will because I found two things. Number one, there was a lot of times I would keep up three mana for a syncopate and not get to counter anything uh, because two mana is a lot easier to pay than three. Uh, but also, just in the mid to late game, the fact that I wasn't just stuck with this bad card in my hand, I was able to dig deeper, find something useful. Also, fantastic with gear hole. Um, I really like the deck. Uh, uh, I'll say I don't think I played it as perfectly as I would have liked to in hindsight, but uh, not much I can do about it now at this stage. But the deck was definitely sweet. Uh, it's also hard to, to pilot a control deck, just in general, no matter how good of a player that you are. And and I think that Doug is a very good player, and and he is he knows how to play control. Even if you are the best player and playing it at the you know best of your ability, it doesn't always mean that you're making the right plays always because sometimes the right play isn't extremely obvious, especially when you have so many options in your hand. Yeah. Uh, also, hats off to the the host Madness Comics and Games out in Plano, Texas. They they had a great store, very yeah. nice tournament started on time. It was ran very very efficiently. Um, their store was huge. Yeah, it used to be essentially like a Chuck E. Cheese. It's basically it sounded like. Um, yeah, I mean, it looked like a Barnes and Nobles. That's how big it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty it was crazy. Huge. Definitely had more than enough space for all of us. Yeah, when I saw pictures of it online, I was like, "There's no way they're going to be able to fit 90 yeah. things." And then, and then I walked, walked in there, I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep." Um, we, when I played FNM, they said that they regularly get like 50 people for FNM. Yeah, I mean, didn't. But well, well, let's put it this way: there was 270 of us playing, right? In this mm-hmm. RPG, there's 90 teams. Uh, we took up a third of the store. Yeah. So that, that's how big it was. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into the event proper. Uh, Doug was seat A, Vinny was seat B, and I was seat C. Uh, ultimately, where you put your players doesn't matter too much. Uh, I know we put Vinny in the middle because Vinny was more likely to ask questions of mm-hmm. us of whether or not, you know, should I attack here? Should I keep his hands mm-hmm. and the like? Uh, but it's ultimately a crapshoot, uh, where the, where, where you want to go. I was always of the opinion that it, if you could pre- accurately predict who's in what seat, then you might have an extra edge, but uh, I agree that ultimately it's just kind of like flip, flip a coin. Yeah. Also, if you can accurately predict what you know your opponent's seats are in, I would go play Lotto. I would go to <laughs> Vegas a lot because you are either really lucky or are a mind reader. So you know, yeah, I, I highly recommend doing that. Yeah, and we mentioned that because uh, round one we sit down. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know because my hands were shaking when we started. Oh yeah. yeah, I definitely was. If you don't get excited for it, then like, I, like I, I even just for like PPTQs get like a little bit of like jitters, bubbles, and whatnot. Like it's just, uh, it's one of those things. If it means something to you, it's gonna cause a little bit of stress and whatnot. But we sat down and we were, and we played the full team mirror. Not just they were playing mono red, green white, and Esper control. They were playing Esper in seat A, Green White in seat B, and Mono Red in seat C. So we all had round one 
started off with mirror matches. Yeah, yeah no, I think those guys were onto something. I really, yeah, <laughs> I really like. The well, deck I did. I did on. tell them a few times. Like, I really like your guys' decks. Um, <laughs> and and it's funny because the day before, I was like, I mean, how often am I actually going to play the green white mirror? So that is the one, t- the one, <laughs> the one matchup I didn't actually test against the day before because a neither Doug nor John felt super comfortable playing the green white deck to begin with. Other than when I played like mono red against uh, John playing green white, just so he understood what things were important to his deck because there's some value to that um playing a deck that even though you're not playing it Absolutely. understanding um what's important to the deck even when playing against uh your own deck and so um o- other than that they didn't really feel super comfortable playing the green white and uh so i never got to play against it and then of course we played against it in round one yeah uh, I, can, I mine was pretty quick i ended up winning the die roll um i won games one and three lost game two uh, my opponent was also on mono red uh, and he flooded really hard in games one and games three. I think he drew like 21 lands between those two games, wow. um, which really helped me win. Um, and I remember we had a, I think, I don't think I, no, I had harvesters in game two that managed to do a little bit of work. Um, and then Vinny uh, and Doug, you guys both went to time with your matches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I went to time in my third game. Doug went to time in his second game. So, uh, I did the old, uh, control philosophy of, uh, we're gonna win game one, and then we're going to do, uh, for all you sports fans out there, we're gonna take a knee, uh, for game two and just run out the clock. I'm not slow playing. Like, don't, don't take this as me advocating, like, cheesing your opponent out with slow play, because that is a rules violation, and you're a jerk. Um, but, <laughs> you can do things that deliberately just cause the game to stall out. Now, uh, Game one, I won pretty easily because I drew all my glimmers. He didn't draw glimmers, and he just kind of got buried in card advantage. He couldn't get anything to resolve. And then, yeah, like, game two, I had a gear hole can play, and I could have started attacking at any point, but I just was like, right now that clock is my friend, and there's like six minutes on it, and you can't kill me. And uh, so, but then that forced him to overextend, which, like, in the control mirror, you really don't want to be the one, like, throwing all your spells on the stack every turn. You kind of want to be the one just chilling, being reactive, because you just get to leverage your mana a lot better. And so, uh, yeah, he was unable to put together any sort of clock, so I was able to, like, use the clock as my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then I guess in my match, uh, so the first one I won pretty easily, and then the second one we had both gotten our, um, our I guess, combos, if you will, on board, where you have Shalai and six mana and a bunch of creatures, and you just start putting... Oh, uh, yeah, I looked counters. over at Vinny's board state to try to help mm-hmm. for a second, and I saw dice and creatures everywhere, and I was like, I cannot process this information. And there was a line that I took that I think was actually... He ended up winning the game, too, um, and it was mainly because I decided... Uh, this Boris hit is going nowhere, and I think at the end of the day he's going to win, so I'd rather just try to cheese out uh, game three. Um, but basically, he was really focused on just spending all six mana to put uh, cre- uh, the counters on all of his creatures. I had a walking blister out, and I realized that I have eight mana, and so putting two uh, counters on your ballista every turn instead of one counter on all of your creatures actually just gets rid of your opponent's Shalai. So that that's what I ended up doing. Um, he ended up playing another slide, and that's when I called it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. Okay. And so we ended up winning uh, that match because Doug won one zero. I won two zero or two one. Brings us to round number two. Uh, I played against the Red Mirror again. Uh, lost the die roll, but I won two nothing. Uh, I managed that. I think that one had the funny line where I played a, a harvester, my opponent abraded it, and then I played another harvester, and my opponent was like, "Really?" Um, <laughs> they didn't have a good time. Uh, Vinny, you played against the blue black mid range deck. I did, and I lost pretty handily. Uh, my opponent was a very good player. Uh, first of all, I think he was the one that actually queued 
And um, he was really, really nice. And I really actually liked those opponents a lot. They were they were very nice, even though we, we did not do well against them. Um, but spoiler alert, John went 7-0. I think that they talked about that last week. So, we so he's he never going to – just just so you guys know, there's never going to be a time where he says, yeah, so I lost that match. <laughs> it, it didn't happen. That you'll, you'll catch a theme. So we actually – we had a game plan for the tournament. Uh, Vinny had all his decks – or all of our decks, all of our play mats, all of our dice, all that stuff in his bag. I had a backpack full of water. Um, Which was the best be- best purchase the entire weekend. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, told you guys. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, John, in his backpack, he was carrying me and Vinny through the tournament. <laughs> yeah, pretty his, much. In his mono red backpack. That, like, <laughs> I, I believe Jansport is still trying to contact him about potential sponsorship. Uh, I, email, they, they even must have gotten lost in the mail. <laughs> uh, and then, Doug, you played against the blue-white control deck. Uh, I did. So, game one, I did the uh, Teferi lock to... Uh, to deck my opponent, exile all their blue lands. He waited till the first time I actually tucked my Teferi, demonstrated that I knew how the loop worked, and then he conceded. Um, game two, I think I actually made the worst misplay I made of the entire tournament. Um, he had played a Ballista on turn two on the play, and uh, I then uh, uh, used that window to jam a search for Escanta, uh, where I knew I could get it like under counter magic. Which I probably just should have left up my counter magic because the blue white decks have access to history of Banalia post board and it's actually a really big problem if it sticks, but it's really easy to counter in post board games. And I had a negate in hand even, and uh, but instead I got a little greedy and tried to jam the search because I was wanting to dig for an answer for this stupid walking ballista, which I I had plenty of time. Uh, and uh, but yeah, he sticks history of Banalia, and then uh, the following turn uh, he. Uh, is able to, I believe, stick another while I'm trying to, uh, like, again, deal with this uh, walking ballista and whatnot. And and then I fall very quickly behind in that game. And then game three, I lose to just a stupid, unplayable magic card. Oh, the one that we told you to play in your cyber uh, Nezahal? Uh, okay, yeah, cool. Nezahal, uh, the 7-7 seven, seven for 7, uncounterable. Every opponent casts a non- non-creature permanent, or non-creature spell draw card. Yeah, I needed no. to find the disallow for the trigger, because uh, I, I was able to get it off the battlefield for a second, but I definitely needed to find the, uh, yeah. the disallow. We're going to go to round three. We're now one and one. Uh, I played mono red uh, once again. Uh, this time I won the die roll and I won 2-0. Uh, with, and I, my opponent made a, a severe mistake in game two. I had a, um, my opponent was at 10 and I had a, um, I had a, uh, Soul Scar Mage and a Hazard on board and my opponent had a, had a Karizev on board and a couple mana up and one card in hand. Uh, my hand was Shock and Chandra's Defeat. And so I shock him pre-combat and then attack, and then before blocks he attempts to lightning strike my Soul Scar Mage, at which point I just go, okay, Chandra's defeat your Karizev, Prowse Trigger, and you're dead. So that, <laughs> that's what I, that, that was what I, that was my, that was the, one of the slickest plays I made all weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, we, and then Vinny, what, what did you play against? I again? played against uh, the Blue Eye Control, and this is the matchup where, um, there was a judge call made. Uh, so essentially the way that, um, one of the biggest reasons I played this, this deck was, to be able to thrashing Bronzodon uh, at instant speed, target their seal away um, by tapping one mana and sacrificing the Bronzodon in order to make sure that my damage gets in against um, a Teferi, because that's that's the main thing. You know, if they stick a Teferi and keep it, it's going to be really hard for me to win. So I um, attacked with a Servant and a, Le- and a Lanor Elves. The Teferi was at three. Um, and before combat, I had played the thrashing Bronzodon. And... Um, he plays the seal away, and I say, okay, in response to the trigger, because he was targeting my servant, in response to the trigger, I'm going to blow it up with the Thrashing Bronson And so he didn't understand how that interaction works, and so I, we called over a judge. The first judge came over, and he basically said, 
that the servant was no longer attacking, it was untapped, and that would gain two energy, and I, you know, politely said, I would like to appeal your decision. Um, you politely, I'm going to actually say more confidently, you said, I would like to appeal. Like that, Yeah, uh, I mean, it was immediate. I, I didn't even he, blink. He knew exactly how the interaction worked. Uh, don't use appeals lightly, but if you do not agree with the judge call, do not hesitate to call for an appeal if you do, if you are 100% sure that, like, the interaction does not work the way the judge says it does. Like, right. judges are not perfect. And just remember that whatever the head judge says goes. Yeah, even if it's wrong. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's true. Like, you know, the head, that happens here and there, but it is very rare. Um, basically what it came down to is that the first judge didn't actually understand what had happened. I guess I, maybe I, uh, misspoke or something along those lines, but he thought that the servant was already gone. Um, that the, the trigger had resolved, which it did not. And so that's, that's where he, you know, didn't realize what had happened. Yeah. But, um, I ended up winning that one, which blue white control is, is, while it was a better matchup for me, um, it's not a great matchup. Any any um, uh, control deck that can bring in approach to the second sun is a lo- very likely to win against my deck. Well, uh, I remember it was like uh, in the last game, um, like you had, you were pretty far ahead on board and he was playing his fifth land. And I was like, if he casts a five mana spell named Teferi, you have Blossoming Defense, you're just going to kill him. I was like, just don't be Fumigate, don't be Fumigate. The fact that he hesitated for so long, and then he finally cast, I was like, oh, this is Teferi, this is great, Blossoming Defense, he scoops up his cards. Yeah. It was really nice, because I had managed to to get uh, wrecked by all the post-board hate for control decks in my match. You played like Green Black? I was playing Green Black that round, yeah. yeah and, uh, uh, game one, I won pretty handily, uh, just stuck at Teferi, drew a bunch of cards, countered a bunch of things, got to Teferi ship your uh, Veraska, then Field of Ruin make you shuffle your library. Mm-hmm. That was... That was adorable. My opponent yeah. was uh, in good spirits, though. He's like, you're just shuffling it to the top now. I don't have to wait two draw steps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in game two, he uh, duressed my Bantu's Last Reckoning with, like, four creatures in play that was going to absolutely wreck him. And then in the third game, he played uh, the one-mana uh, enchantment. I'm trying to remember the name oh, of it. Um, Whenever a permanent uh, you control would be the target of a spell or ability. Shaper's Sanctuary. Yes. Yeah. Shaper Sanctuary. I'm terrible with magic card names, y'all. Um... And yeah, that card is really, really oppressive against a deck that's all spot removal. Like, we're not playing as many Wraths as the blue-white decks. So. Yeah. Uh, brings us to round four. We're two and one. We're feeling pretty good. Uh, we, we get the feeling that 16 points, five wins, one loss, one draw is going to be the cutoff. Because uh, that's what the cutoff was here up in Nashville. So we knew that we needed to needed to play well the rest of the tournament. Uh, round four, uh, we, we get paired. I get paired against uh, Blue-Green Stompy. Which is a matchup that I was a little worried about, but I eventually I didn't. We didn't even practice it uh, the Saturday before. But I basically decided that this is a deck that I'm going to need my best hands against. Yeah. Um, and I managed to win game one after my opponent goes. Uh, let's see if I remember correctly. They went Steelleaf Champion, which I killed. Cultivator's Caravan, Territorial Alsaurus, Galta. Ronus, mm-hmm. Brontodon. I looked over and you had, he had a, like, all I saw was a Galta. That's all that mattered to me. And I was like, oh, John's going to lose his first game today. Yeah. Um, uh, didn't. <laughs> I, know I, didn't. I, I got put to three off of an attack and then my opponent was at 10. I had two Phoenixes in play and then I ripped Shock off the top for exactly lethal. Uh, I, I saw Doug, like, come over and, like, sc- like, kneel down next to me, like... And then I saw you peel shock, and I was like, my help is no longer <laughs> needed here. I'm gonna go look at Vinny's match. Uh, yeah, and then, uh-huh. and then I, uh, I win game two, because uh, he mulliganed to five, and he kept a hand of Hinterland Harbor, Botanical Sanctum, Hinterland Harbor as his lands. Huh. Uh, and he never never assembled anything that re- remotely resembled a uh, an offense. 
Yeah, well, uh, like, oh, he also, I don't think he had all three lands in his hand, because he missed a land drop when yeah, he turned he missed, that he missed a few land drops. And, like, uh, you started just aggressively then killing a server to the conduits, being yeah. like, if you don't cast any of these giant green things, I'm just going to kill you. Yeah, like, uh, my um, slickest play in that match was I had a Soul Scar Mage in play, uh, my opponent had just had a Cultivator's Caravan and a Ronus, and then, or no, they just had a Ronus in play, and then I go... Uh, glory bringer, attack, exert on your Ronus, make it a 1-1 one, one, so it can't crew your caravan. <laughs> <laughs> that was the slickest play I think I made all week. Yeah. Uh, no, what did you One advantage that he, John had, uh, like, he knew every interaction in every matchup for every opponent he played against. Mm-hmm. And it, it showed. He played fast, confidently, and knew exactly what sequence of events needed to happen, like... And, and for if, the record, through four rounds, I have lost one game of Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Humble brags. Yeah, um, and it just shows that, like, if you... Like, I remember during testing, I was like, hey, John, do you want to work on this? He was like, no, I'm fine. I'll, I, I know what I'm doing. And, uh, like, I felt kind of bad afterwards, because I was like, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Won't ever happen again. So, Doug, your, your match finished real quickly because you were able to come by during my game one. Yeah. What were you up against in round four? I was up against red-black, and this is actually one of the most difficult things about sideboarding in not only this format, but in just the uh, standard format in general, is the varying degrees of uh, red decks. Mm-hmm. Like, how big are they? Like Because this version, I saw Heart of Kieran main deck, and I saw uh, Planeswalker's main deck. But uh, he's also playing Bomac Couriers. So, like, the sideboarding was a little awkward for me. Uh, either way, both of the games kind of played out the same, where uh, uh, he got my life total down pretty quickly early to where I had to start killing things before combat, which uh, normally I like to wait until after combat in a deck that uh, re- relies so heavily on permission, because if you tap out for their second main phase, they just jam a Chandra, and then you really can't win. Mm-hmm. But uh, with my life total solo, I didn't really have much uh, option in the matter. And both games he jammed a Chandra after I killed something with a Contempt during combat, and both games I lost to the Chandra very shortly thereafter. Yeah, and then um, Vinny, you played against Blue... You you put it down on the show notes as Blue-White Control, although I would just argue it's just Blue-White Benalia. Sure. Um, it was a little bit of both, right? Like he, So the way that his... Actually, I really, really liked his deck for the record, so after I talk about it, if you guys want to go build it, I highly recommend it. Basically, it was a, a Blue-White Control, like they weren't playing creatures, um, he was playing, uh, his, four of History Benalia, he was playing Karns, he was playing Teferis, um, and so he was being as proactive as he could against, uh, control decks while still playing a control game, because he still had Negate, Disallow, you know, things along those lines, um, cast out and the such. So, uh, game one, he ended up winning because he was able to stick a, um, History of Benalia, Karn, Teferi, turn three, four, and five. Um, and I really was not able to fight through that. It was very difficult. I even stuck into Johnny, and, um, I think I drew three cards off of it, and he, I think he just told me the next turn. Um, it was just, you know, really difficult. And then after sideboard, um, uh, he, this is after talking to him later in the day, um, he had said that his plan for, um, green decks in this, with the sideboard is to bring in one Fumigate, two Approach to the Second Sun, and then I think, like, one other spell I couldn't remember. Um, but because he, you know, he knew that I was going to go bigger, bringing in my Nisses, bringing in bigger spells, and, um, he knew that green decks can't deal with approach. So that's basically what it came down to. Yeah. And, like, then you don't have the, uh, the downside of having, like, your approaches in game one against the other control decks, where mm-hmm. seven mana sorcery that you have to cast twice to do anything is... Right. Is I mean, you have History of Benalia, which is what they bring against control anyway, yeah. and it's just good. It, it is worse in game one against the control decks, though, I sure. would say, because they do have all their dead removal spells that have nothing else to be pointed at. 
Uh, I, I mean, think if I had free tutus, though. If I had to choose a blue-white deck to play against as a control player, I would much rather play against that deck, but I bet he has a ton of equity against the mid-range and the aggro decks, yes. just by being much more proactive and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking about, because uh, I was asking him, like, what, you know, where was the cuts from, and he was, like, say, like getting rid of the, like, bad draws. Like, as much as, like, I mean, I played four Glimmers in this event. Uh, I don't think it's a great card, but the interaction with Gearhulk kind of makes it a necessary evil, and plus control decks just need to draw cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can definitely see getting rid of cards that are, like, uh, that tend to underperform yeah. in favor of cards that are just, like, straight-up hammers. Like and One of the decisions that I had to make while sideboarding, I looked at John after he finished his match, and I was like, so game one went this way. I kind of explained what his deck was playing. Do you think he has Fumigates? Because I had Heroic Intervention. I had two of Heroic Intervention on my board. Um, he was like, well, did you see a game one? I was like, no. And so he's like, well, I mean, you could assume that he has them, but you know, you didn't see them game one. I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to bring in my Nisses. I took them out for the Ajani's because it turns out that Nisses making five fives just kills them really quick. Um, and I didn't bring in Heroic Intervention. So I find, find out later that he only brought in one Fumigate, which I'm still happy with that. I don't want two cards against a potential one of card that he might draw. Um, so I think I sideboarded correctly. Yeah. So that brings us to round number five. We are now down uh, the two and two. Uh, I appreciate my my opponent in this round who um, they had red sleeves. They had a uh, life pad that was red the shirt. Red shirt. The life pad was an un- was the uh, uh, unhinged mountain, and then their turn one play was irrigated farmland tapped. Um, and I played it was playing against Esper Control, uh, and I I went to he wins the die roll. Uh, he mulliganed to five in game one and six in game two, which didn't help his case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also had a Bowman Courier deal 11 damage in game one. <laughs> and I popped it to draw 11 cards. It was great. Uh, my opponent then asked me afterwards, like, why didn't you, why'd you pop it then and, like, worry about disallow? I'm like, you didn't have it. You had one card in hand. <laughs> you had one card. So what's the chance that that's going to be disallowed? What happened is he cast Gear Hulk and targeted uh, Glimmer of Genius in his graveyard. And then I go, what, you have one card in hand? Cool. Pop Courier now. And I drew, draw like, 11. I drew, like, eight lands. Uh, two phoenixes, a scrounger, and a braid or something. I was like, okay, a braid your guy. I'm gonna go to end step, discard two mountains and a scrap heap scrounger, go. Um, oh I, I, I did realize I misplayed because I f- forgot to bring back my scrounger at the end of his turn, but I was winning the game regardless. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, Doug, what'd you play against? Uh, I actually ended up playing against Mono Red that round. Uh, I had one game one, uh, kind of the way Esper wins all of its game ones is kind of like keep the board clear as long as you can get to fairy in play and if you can get like two untapped states with it you eventually find your like disallow or essence scatter Veraskis contempt to cop and give you some insulation and then uh, it becomes pretty trivial to win after that. Uh, game two I was uh, pretty far ahead but then uh, Vinny looks over and says, you're done. In the most <laughs> condescending of manners. While I was still having a lot of fun. <laughs> there's nothing more fun in life than being a control deck that has completely turned the corner. On a right deck, nonetheless. Where your opponent just sits there helplessly uh, attempting to, like, cast spells or attack. and Cast two the, mana, two ones. And... Yeah. When you look at your hand of, like, four counter spells and two removal spells, and you're like, do I even want to counter this, or do I just want to kill it? Like, you just get to be a... But Vinny had to... To ruin the fun for everybody. Yeah. Well, I, I, so this is the, the time that I played against 
uh, mono green stompy splashing blue. I think just for like commitment memories and then maybe some stuff on the board. Um, but this is also this is also the <laughs> the time where I won the die roll and then uh, went Lenore Elves turn two Rishgar turn three Lyra. So that really helped. <laughs> Turns out Steel Leaf Champion can't attack through a Lyra. Oh yeah, and so <laughs> now that you bring that up, I, I totally uh, forgot about this before. Um, one of the things, if you do decide to play this green white deck, um, if you're playing against the Stompy decks. Take out your Thrashing Bronzodons, bring in your Prowling Serpent parts, because while they're great against control, they're also very good against blocking a Steel League champion. Um, and that is what I ended up doing um, after sticking the Lyra in the first game. He could not win. In the second game, um, I it looks like, yeah, I went down to 8, and then I started going up in life, so I imagine that I also got a Lyra that game. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I mean, I think we, we had, uh, one of the matches we had tested was uh, your deck versus the Stompy deck, and like, one of the things I think we very quickly kind of figured out was uh, it, it was more of a tempo matchup than a lot of the other green decks that yeah. are grindy matchups because they don't really have the horsepower to win a late game. Yeah. Like, your, your late game just ends up being a little bit superior to them with all mm-hmm. the flyers and stuff. And so, like, just having something on the board that could prevent you getting cheesed out by a Steel Leaf champion is sometimes just better than, like, you know, the more generically powerful card, like a Thrashing Brontodon, which even intuitively seems great in that matchup. Oh, they have Heart of Karen. They have the Boat, like, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, Sky Sovereign, uh, Council Flagship. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, no, like, through testing, this is one of the things I love about testing, is sometimes you find a very unintuitive thing. Like, I see it in your opening hand, I'm like, what is that doing there? And you were like, and I was like, Oh, yeah, oh. you almost gave it away. I was like, oh, <laughs> Shut up, dude. Be cool. <laughs> Be cool, man. Be cool. <laughs> Alright, that brings us to round six. Uh, I played against the, a black-green mid-range deck, which is, this was not a whiny constrictor deck, because I think going into this event, everyone, or into these RPTQs, everyone kind of had their level one thinking as, one person plays mono-red, one person plays blue-white control, one person plays green-black snake, because whiny constrictor is a very, very powerful effect. Uh, and, but this person was playing just a green-black, green-black mid-range deck. Things like Vraska's Intemps, Vraska's Unseen, Vraska the Unseen, or Vraska, um, I forget her. The pirate. The pirate Vraska. I keep want to say Rescue Relic Seeker, but that's the Relic Seeker. There we go. Rescue Relic Seeker, Nissa's, and just go big. And I remember in game one, I look at my opponent's lands, and you had Forest, 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 Ether Hub, Ether Hub. And I look over Vinny, I go, Vinny, I have seen no other like colored cards and no other color inside for, aside from uh, Hubs. Do I? Do you think this guy's on Stompy? And I think you said no. I said uh, I'm, I don't know. It's hard to tell from here. Yeah. Um, with the Aether Hubs, I mean, he could have just been playing for the the servants. Yeah. But. Uh, but eventually That's he goes, eventually my opponent goes lands a Nissa, and then they land a Vraska Relic Seeker by going tap, add black, plus Nissa, untap, tap, Vraska. Uh, regardless, I do end up winning this match. Uh, I won the die roll, I won 2-0, um, and we had, we had some, we had some interesting interplay between our matches, but, uh, turns out, you know, turn, turn my Bowman Courier into a lot of things is still really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at this point of the tournament, because we uh, we were already in the X two bracket, we we all kind of started like playing a little bit more jovially, a little bit looser, and uh, and I don't know whether it was either a some of our opponents might have been a little bit more checked out, or b just because we were playing looser, we started like like sweeping our matches after that because yeah. I like this is another match where we didn't end up dropping a match. Yeah, uh, I ended up taking. I actually got to finally be the one to finish a match with a win while Vinny was still. Grinding out a match. Yeah, my opponent was playing blue-white again. So, spoiler, I played that four times that day. Didn't play any mono-red, which is what my deck actually beats up against. Like, it's just so good against Um, mono-red. 
Yeah, they they can't beat Lyra game. <laughs> and, you played, and you played against Mono Red that match. I did. Uh, I got matched against a lot of Mono Red, which is, again, like not exactly what you It's want. funny because I think those opponents were actually like really trying to win that game. Yeah. I mean, I think that was their downfall because we didn't care at that point. <laughs> and so we are just like, well, we'll see what happens. And then yeah. we ended up well, winning very game, easily. Well, game, I remember game one in uh, that match. My opponent uh, played their 11th red source while I was still <laughs> on like eight lands. And if the mono red player is playing more lands than the Esper player, they are not winning that game. How many know. lands did you either scry or bin off of a search that game? Do you remember? Uh, I do not know. But oh, but this is the one where game two I actually won on a mulligan to five on the draw. Oh yeah. Uh, with islands like syncopate, essence scatter, and then like I think an essence extraction and a Veraskus content. Like not a good hand, but I was like, I don't know what four card hand is going to look better than this. So I was like, all right, well. Look at the top card, not a land, ship it. Um, and I was able to, like, uh, I think I drew, like, a Glacial Fortress, so not even, like, a particularly helpful land, but it turned on those two drops to let me at least be interactive for a couple turns, and I just kept, like, kind of uh, fighting and clawing. And then finally, the turn that really helped me stabilize was I, I, I had a Teferi in play, and I got to untap with it, which, yeah, a lot of good turns. But I drew a, uh, and I had one, I found my first Black Source, but I didn't have the second one to turn on my Contempt or my uh, Essence Extraction. So I, uh... At the end of my turn with the Teferi untap trigger, uh, I float a black with my one black source, untap the fetid pools that I had just played, uh, and then hold priority on my end step, add another black, add two more colorless, Veraskus Contempt your Hazaret, and uh, was able to uh, keep up Disallow from that point too. And at that point, I was able to kind of like turn the corner entirely. Um, one of the nice things I actually like about playing the Gearhold version is that after I turned to the corner, I very quickly just killed him. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to the final round, round seven. Um, we're going to get to you, the last of Doug, because yours was the last match happening hmm. in the Swiss. Uh, I played against Monored for the fourth yeah, time. In the entire room. <laughs> the entire, literally the entire room. Uh, I played against Monored for the, for the fourth time. I finally lost a game one. There you go. There you go. Uh, then I won games two and three. Um, it was a really good Monored player. I was always on the back foot in game one. Game two, I was on the front foot most of the time, and I killed. Uh, the game ended with both of us at 12, and then I 12 him. Uh, and then round is, is the round, the final one, he mulliganed like the five and kept a no lander. And there was no way, and I kept seven. There was no way that he was going to win that game in any reasonable manner because he missed his first, his first, his first land drop happened on turn three. And it was, it just wasn't By even then, close. you're to, already casting three yeah. and four drops. It wasn't, it, it wasn't close to being close. Yeah. Um, I played against a really, really good blue white player. And I, as well as John, I also played my fourth blue white, um, match of that day. Um, he was playing approaches in the main, and as soon as I saw the approach in the first game, I knew I was going to lose that match. So that's when I looked over to Doug and whispered in his ear, I'm going to lose, you need to win. <laughs> so, um, my matchup, I was playing, uh, I honestly think one of the sweeter decks I've ever played against, uh, so, uh, my opponent was playing a, uh, mono black deck, but the mono black deck they were playing in particular was very low to the earth with all of its, like, uh, it wasn't playing, like, the big stuff like Liliana's and Demon Lord Bells and Locks that I've grown accustomed to. So I was playing a lot of, like, cheap interactive cards I was playing, and uh, it was taking advantage of the interaction with, like, Scavenger Grounds, If Near Deadlands, and it was actually playing Super Squire, the 2-mana 1-2 Explore 1 in black, because it actually really took great advantage of all these, like, dumb mm-hmm. lands and whatnot. And the Hostile Deserts. Uh, yeah. And they even had Hostile, Hostile Deserts was the most surprising card. But uh, the big thing was he was able to, like, keep me from ever flipping my Ascanta, he could keep me from, like, getting any value out of my Gear Hulks, and, it <laughs> and the 3-4 really beats down... <laughs> Especially when it's a land. Yeah, I mean, he only got a couple attacks in with it. Like, uh, 
But like it, but it did give like just another source of pressure because he wasn't like gonna deal twenty to me at once. He'd deal like two here, three here, mm-hmm. kind of chip away with me. Uh, I nearly got to the point where I was able to kind of recover from all the like main deck duress effects uh, and doomfall effects that like I'm not really exactly thrilled to play against game one. The blue black deck is a little bit more resistant to like discard than the blue white deck. That is one of the reasons I did prefer it. But, uh, it, like, it was really hard to kind of get, like, good stable footing in that game because of that. Like, he could, uh, remove all my counter spells. He could remove my removal. Like, he could decide what axis we were going to play the game on, which mm-hmm. is not really where the control player wants to be. So, what do we call it? Mono Black Jund? Yeah. Uh, the Willy Edel list. Yeah. So, uh, in, uh, in the post board game, uh, Vinny was again saying, hey, you actually need to win this match. Like, because I'm going to lose this. Like, you can't just kneel out the clock and let me. Win and whatnot, but I already lost game one, so I really got to find a way to win game two and three. And we we also um, decided, like, kind of with our opponents, like it's in our best interest, in you know, all six of our best interests, for somebody to win and somebody to lose, not for all you know, all of us yeah. to draw. And so uh, game two, definitely, I had to fight through a lot because he even brought in like more disruption, like kite cell freebooters, and then he had uh, the memorial of the memorial to folly to folly that could pick back up those they again have that in the, the main. Theme. The theme of all these, uh, like, ways to recur these threats. And, like, I think Gonti was about the top end of his curve. Yeah, Gonti. Yeah. And, um, but I eventually managed to, uh, like, get a, uh, Eldest Reborn to stick. And he tries to scavenger grounds, uh, in response to it. So I disallowed. He scavenger grounds again. I, uh, Gear Hulk hit another disallow in my own It was actually the graveyard. same disallow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he let that disallow resolve and then tried to do it again. <laughs> And so I was able to disallow the trigger on that, and that had tapped him low enough to where I could actually get this thing to to stick, and then I was able to buy back as Gonti. And I look at Vinny and say, which one should I take, looking at four lands that are uncastable by Gonti? <laughs> Two swamps and Royal <laughs> and if near Deadlands. I was like, I guess the if near Deadlands. <laughs> you technically can't, for those that don't know, you ha- it has to be a card you can cast. You mm-hmm. cannot play a land off of Gonti. Um, but... Uh, so, uh, that game actually ended up being one of the more, like, strategically interesting games of Magic I have ever played. There was a lot of weird windows where, like, when he got tapped low enough with his Scavenger Grounds, I would, uh, I gear hulked to flashback a, uh, Forsake the Worldly to, uh, deal with his, uh, Argul's Bloodfast that was, uh, giving me, uh, nothing but fits. Because him being able to draw a bunch of cards every turn made it really, really hard for me to win a resource battle. And that's the last thing that you want to see on turn two from your opponent is, yeah. is an Argo's Bloodfast. Oh, he had it in the main deck, too. Oh, I know. It plays, too. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is really, really hateful. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, uh, my opponent, I actually had him on Facebook, Jacob. Um, a great opponent, like, uh, absolutely, like, intense. Great guy. Yeah, like, really intense, like, mental battles. Like, when you're playing against somebody that you can tell they know what's up, it just, re- you really feel like you don't have any, you have to look for the tiniest windows of equity to try to get leverage against them, and, like, it also means that, like, if you have, like, any, like, momentary lapses on your decision making, they will punish you to the utmost degree, and I just, I find that to be a really exciting challenge in Magic. Um, the way I ended up eventually winning that game was I kind of gummed up the board with a Scarab God, but I couldn't really activate it because he had, he was holding up Scavenger Grounds mana. So it was like this like weird uh, tango that we were dancing. Uh, but the whole time I had a Teferi in play, though, which was able to eventually ultimate. And then that was actually something that was just over the top of what he was doing. Get rid of all your threats, attack for like 20 and one attack. Uh, the problem that had been created through all of this was that we had... 
you know, taken up a good 20, 30 minute game for this game too. But like, I, I couldn't really attack because I was at two life. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't really afford to be, uh, aggressive at that stage until like I really had the game locked up. So, uh, we go to this last game and now we've got about five or six minutes. So we quickly, uh, like, uh, toss back our Gonti permanents and whatnot, shuffle everything up. And, uh, I normally do a pile shuffle to ensure that I have 60 cards. Uh, without the necessary time though, we just quickly shuffle up. Uh, we're playing the game at lightning, fa- at lightning speed because again, we want to get a result. We don't, we don't want to draw here. Um, and at one stage, uh, I draw, I think it was for my turn. It was your turn three. It was my turn three draw step. I draw Gonti, Lord of Luxury. If you're looking at Doug's deck list, you will notice there that is, he, he has zero copies of Gonti in his deck. So, <laughs> I, I do the thing. I call a judge, and I'm like, uh, I have drawn a card that uh, is not in my deck. Uh, because uh, in the, uh, and this is actually one problem I do have with things like Eldest Reborn and Gonti itself, which is ironic, Gonti's the one that I end up mm-hmm. playing, uh, is that they, uh, they cause cards to be on the opposite side of the battlefield, and if you have the same colored sleeves, you may not notice until something like this happens, or worse, you've went on to your next match, and then you can't trace it as easily. Yeah. Um, so we get a judge or whatever, um, and the ruling ends up being that, uh, like, they check both decks to make sure there's nothing else wrong. They check to make sure he has 59, I have 61, and that was the actual error. And then the result is the Gonti gets shuffled back into his library, but I have already drawn my card for the turn, so I don't get a draw step for that turn, essentially, which was really unfortunate because I didn't have any, like, I I needed to hit some land drops. Yeah, he also hit Argo's Bloodfast turn, too, so that didn't help you. No, it didn't help me, for sure, but uh, it caused me to fall a little bit further behind than I would like to. Now, that game kind of... I think I might have been playing a little faster and looser just because I was trying to get a win and not necessarily a draw. Because I do think if like if I would have just like played a more crafted game plan, I would have it would have led to a draw, but I wouldn't have uh, ended up losing the game. But because I was playing aggressively, trying to like uh, leverage a situation for a win as opposed to a situation for a not lose, yeah, um, it kind of put me in a bad position and uh, I ended up losing that third game. Well, I will say that the final the final turn sequence because we your turn ended your game ended in time. Yeah, the judge gave you a six minute extension to try to finish that match. Yeah, um, and then it came down to your opponent had a Gonti and a Kite Soul Freebooter, and you were at four or six at the end of yeah. their turn four, and the Kite Soul Freebooter had a Vraskis attempt under it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, so I just needed to find an answer. Yeah, to Doug's it. only line was to try to was to activate Argyle's Blood Fast to try to because he had he, Doug also had one of his own in play. To find a removal spell for the freebooter at the end of his opponent's turn, and well, he also had a, a small window on his turn, right? But... Well, so, so here's the thing, though. He had six mana up, and so um, he asked me. He had already activated it once or cycled something. Um, with uh, no, two I, lands. I uh, used Field of Ruin to hit sure. a hostile desert. So he had he had asked me, should I use the Argo Blood Fast here? He was at six life, and so I told him, you're you absolutely have to do it here because if you were to draw, say, a cast down, which would help. He also needs to be able to tap four mana for his Vraska Contempt. So, um, he needed to do that there. He went down to two, did not find it. Untaps, uh, uh. Search, reveal, negate, which, right, doesn't, which help, doesn't, do doesn't help. Uh, found a, a cycle land, cycle that land, found another cycle, cycle land, land, cycle that land, and he didn't try it, and I just whisper in his ear, go out on your own terms. <laughs> <laughs> Activate Argyle's Blood Pass, pay two life, go to zero. Yeah, <laughs> so we ended it four and three. Those opponents were great. They were also a lot of fun. Uh, four and three got us to twenty second, twenty seventh, twenty seventh place. Uh, we which got the, as as a team twenty four packs. 
which was which was fun. Uh, Vinny opened it to Fairy, so he won. I think. Yay! Um, My packs have not been opened yet. But we might be dealing with that in the next few hours. We're actually yeah. all about to have a, a lot of drafting fun now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was kind of the tournament. Um, one of the big things that we kind of discussed a little bit on the ride back um, was, like, would you change anything about your decks? And I think for me, I don't think I would change anything about mine. I think yeah. my 75 is It's great. really hard to convince yourself that you should change anything after going 7-0 and and 14-2 and in individual games. It yeah. Like, five of those seven matches were sweeps. Like, yeah. uh, I jokingly licked my finger and touched John's shoulders and made a <laughs> noise because he was a little too hot to handle. Uh, for, for his efforts, he got Korean barbecue and alcohol paid for at, uh, uh, which by the way, first time I ever had Korean barbecue, Vinny, yep. thank you for the suggestion. Yep. It was uh, simply Korean barbecue phenomenal. Is very good. Yes, yeah. it is. We entered the sake bomb bracket. <laughs> <laughs> Drink responsibly, kids. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so so would I would I change anything about my deck? Um, I think I'd add some Aethersphere Harvesters just for the the um, red matchup. But honestly, I think that the control matchups are still going to be difficult. Um, one of our friends um, from the local store uh, mentioned that maybe putting a Gideon's Intervention in the board would have been um, smart to do. Um, well, I, I definitely agree with him on that because approach is something I absolutely can't deal with. Um, I don't think for that tournament it was necessarily correct because I think I had the exact amount of sideboard cards dedicated to certain things that I needed. But go, moving on to the future, knowing that I'm probably going to be playing against some other approach decks, it wouldn't be bad to have copies of those. And Doug, I know for you it's a little bit harder because your deck was like full of ones and twos. And um, I do actually think that we kind of got to the optimal list, even if we it really did take till like the very last night. We still were tweaking with the last few sideboard slots. Ended up uh, pulling the dresses out of the sideboard just in favor of more Argyle's Bloodfast because in the control mirror it just was a completely like like it it made the match completely one sided if one person had one and one person did not like you just you had to find a forsake the worldly instantly or you were going to lose and uh, so that would be the one thing I would consider change or like I so I guess that I wouldn't make any changes I, I kind of was happy with the list. I do think that the, uh, most of my uh, issues were not in deck error; they were in pilot error. Um, which, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing to be it. introspective like that and realize, yeah, I messed up there. Uh, I'm, I'm really working on trying to do that more as a Magic player, though. I think uh, you you gain a lot more by being like, "Hey, I messed up." Now, don't do it unnecessarily, and and, uh, and don't beat yourself up over it. Just understand where you could have made yeah. better plays and understand to um, to fix those in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And like uh uh and uh like don't make excuses for why you made a misplay, just you made a misplay. Accept it to figure out where you could do better in the future. Uh and um I think like one of the biggest issues I think we had though was that me and Vinny couldn't spread our losses out better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> if me and Vinny would have taken turns losing as, as opposed to losing and winning together, because the matches we were winning, like... We all won. Yeah, like, well, technically the third except, match... Except for, except for round one where Vinny drew. Yeah. Right. Well, right. I didn't technically... I mean, I guess technically I drew, but... Yeah, but like... We, we didn't make it to turn five. Yeah. <laughs> Doug did first. You you yeah. were going to draw. Yes, I was. Yeah, like, uh, uh, it was nice, though, to actually get this experience. And if you, like, I've heard the expression a thousand times, so I thought it was kind of corny and cheesy that I'm going to be saying it now. If you get a chance to do a team tournament, especially with two people that you really enjoy playing Magic with, like, we've had this, like, uh, promised and testing group going for a while now, and just, like, vi- like whenever I got qualified, the first two people were going to be Vinny and John. It wasn't going to be up for discussion, as long as uh, I knew that they would have the time and uh, the resources in order to, like, be properly prepared. Um, 
Do a team event, though. They are a blast. Like, yeah. it was a, the whole weekend was a remark. Like, the, I think the fact that we did get to go out of town as opposed to playing the one in Nashville yeah. actually added to it. Like, yeah. it really was a really, like, great bonding experience. Like, uh, yeah. these, these are two great guys that I absolutely love spending my time with. And, uh, I, I would be happy to play another team event with them. I'm actually, like, trying to see if there's a team limited GP we could do or something. Uh, though we can argue for an hour over cards again. Yeah, not actually build decks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so that's going to bring it in, to an end here. We actually did, we didn't spend as much time rambling as I thought we would spend. Uh, so, uh, Vinny or Doug, uh, do either of you on social media? Where can people find you if they want to find you on social media? So I'm on uh, Twitter at Vinny1125. That's V-I-N-N-Y-1125. You don't do Twitter, do you, Doug? I have an old Twitter account, but I don't know how to log into it anymore, so I'll probably should start a new one at some point. Uh, you can technically re- reach me on Facebook at Doug T. Harrelson. Uh, if you see, like, a uh, homeless-looking bearded man, that's probably me. <laughs> um, We're but... in your house right now. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, I'll work on the Twitter thing and uh, keep you guys updated. <laughs> yeah. I guess I need to get with the day and age. I'm like anti-technology. It's like, true. Like bottom bug and whatnot. That's true. I'm also, I'm also on Twitch, I think. I, I think it's PrinceV1125. Most like that's usually my other username. So you can find me there as well. All right. If you want to find Ian on Twitter, you can find him at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. He's also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. That's D-I-X. Uh, he is currently in the middle of a move, but once he gets settled back into his new place in D.C., I imagine that the streams will continue with much gusto. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at jwiley129, that's J-W-I-L-E-Y-129. I'm also on Twitch at the same handle, so if you see me in a Twitch room, just go ahead and say hi. Uh, if you, and also, if you want to reach the podcast, you can do so in two ways. You can hit us up on Twitter directly at Eyes on the Mize, or you can shoot us an email at eyesonthemise at gmail.com. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Vinny and Doug, I'm John. Thank you all so much for listening, and talk to you all next time. Mm